Okay, so that concludes 20 minutes of meditation. I would encourage you to keep your eyes closed and follow along with the third step prayer. Uh, we're going to do it one breath at a time. And, uh, and we're going to explore the prayer a little bit in application right now. So what I do is I breathe in the first line of the prayer, the word God. I breathe in God. And I take a few breaths again, and I call out to that thing that I call God or higher power, infinite intelligence. And I breathe out the next line of the prayer. I offer myself to thee. And I take a few breaths and I really look at that commitment. How committed am I right now, today, right now, to offering myself to my higher power, my hands, my feet, my mouth, my energy, my thoughts, my fears. And I breathe in the next line of the prayer. To build with me and to do with me as thou will. And I take a few breaths. And I just put my attention on what I think my higher power might want to build with me or do with me today, right now. And I breathe out the next line of the prayer. Relieve me of the bondage of self. I'm asking God to remove my story, my old ideas, my opinions. And I like to search for a moment of quiet with no story. Just one moment. And I breathe in the next line of the prayer. That I may better do thy will. And I take a few breaths and I think about how much better I could possibly do God's will if my mind was quiet. And I breathe out the next line of the prayer, take away my difficulties. And I look at the day-to-day -day and I think about what were my difficulties? What got in my way today of me being the man that God would have me be?
I breathe in the next line of the prayer, that victories over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. take a few breaths and I think about the people I will possibly come in contact with today. And I think about how they might be touched and affected if I truly was an example of God's will and God's love and God's way of life, God's power. And I breathe out the last line of the prayer. May I do thy will always. And I smile. And I picture myself going throughout the rest of my day. Doing God's will the best that I can. What I think it is the best that I can. Gently open your eyes. Take a moment right now, as your eyes open, to just become conscious of the seeing that's happening, probably in color for most of you. Try to stay connected to the breath with your eyes open, breathing in God, breathing out. I offer myself to thee. with your eyes open, meditating. No story, no bondage to self, no story about what you're seeing, just that seeing is happening. Try to enjoy the quiet. I'm Randy and I am alcoholic. Uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for meditating with me. I so appreciate it and going through that prayer with me that uh, I, all I can say after a meditation and a prayer like that is, ah, I just feel I just feel fed. I feel nourished. I feel like I worked out and I have all the energy in the world right now. I feel amazing. And that's a byproduct of of breaking the story of breaking that self-talking mind because i'm alcoholic i'm allergic to alcohol but what i have is a disease called alcoholism that talks to me in my own voice i know some of you might have heard this before my disease talks to me in my own voice and it manifests in my life as an unsatisfiable fault-finding opinionated mind that's always in a hurry easily frustrated and can't stand the word no. 
And because of that mind, I'm constantly in conflict with, the, with everybody and everything to some degree. Most of the time it's on the inside now. You don't know. You have no idea what's going on. On the outside, I'm smiling and nodding. On the inside, mm, I'm not talking so nice about you. I'm not talking so nice about me either. When I'm in the disease. And when I get into enough emotional pain, I'm going to find a way to treat that disease. By treat the disease, I mean distract me from the bondage of self. Because I need to be distracted from the bondage of self to be okay right now. And so if I might not turn to alcohol, I might turn to sugar or flour or TV or porn or shopping or driving fast. But the disease will be treated one way or another. It will capture my attention and it will get me into emotional pain and it will need to be treated and it will get treated somehow. Either I'm going to practice the application of the 12 steps as a way of life right now to treat the disease or I'm going to treat it with something outside of me to try to make my head quiet. So... Uh, this Saturday meeting, we're going through the literature. We've read 60 to 63 together. We read how it works together. We read the Surrender versus Compliance pamphlet of Tebow together. And we've read the Ego Factors in Surrender together. All of that was to shine a light on the disease, to see how the disease manifests in my life. And sometimes it might seem that we're really interested in how sick we are and that's not the goal the goal is not to see how sick i am the the goal is to turn to a higher power but in order for me and my ego to be willing to turn to a higher power i have to see how sick i am <laughs> <laughs> I do not wake up in the morning and think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I was connected to God all day today? I'm, I, I wake up and I think, oh, mm, I need to eat something. I need to make some money today. I need a new car. And it starts from there and it goes to all the other stuff that self thinks it needs to be okay today. I don't, I don't wake up and say, God, here I am. I'm ready for action. What would you have me do? It says in the seventh step that uh, who among us, I'm going to read it so I don't make it up. Uh, I never, it says, it says exactly what I'm saying. I never thought first thing in the morning, I never thought of making honesty, tolerance, and true love of man and God the daily basis of living. I never thought of that. I never thought that. Wait, before the program, I never even knew that that was a thing that anybody would ever think of. And with years and years in the program and having read that sentence a million times, I still woke up most mornings and I never thought, never thought of making honesty, tolerance, and true love of man and God my daily basis of living. That it's based on that, not based on making money, not based on... on 
finding a partner, not based on having some new shiny object in my life, whatever, whatever that was. So, so I have to know who I am. I'm an alcoholic. I'm allergic to alcohol. Can never drink alcohol again. And I have an unsatisfiable fault finding opinionated mind that talks to me in my own voice. That's always in a hurry, easily frustrated and can't stand the word no. And this new way of life is I'm going to, I'm going to have to get to a place of such intense pain that I'm going to be as willing to listen and as open to conviction as the dying can be. We might read that today. <laughs> so, so, so we've got, I got to know what the disease is. Everything we've been reading and most of step one is about the disease and about seeing how sick we are. Uh, and then in step three, it says, you know how you, you know how it, it says, so just how do I turn my, how do I continue to turn my will and my life over to the care of God? And then it goes right back to step one and says, first, I have to see that I have problems other than alcohol. I have to see how sick I am as an alcoholic with alcoholism. And by sick, I mean, I have a mental illness. I do. I don't take drugs to treat my mental illness. I know a lot of people that do, and I'm proud of them. And I encourage you to take your drugs if your doctor thinks that's what you should do. I don't do that. I don't, I don't do it. But I'm 100% positive that if I walked into a psychiatrist's office and I explained to them how my mind works in the day that I'm in with 33 years of sobriety, they might consider some medications for me. <laughs> uh, all right. So I think we left off on page 23. We're going to continue reading. So this meeting has a focus for the next three and a half years. Uh, it might take us that long to get through the rest of the literature, the way that we go through it. But there, there's nowhere to go. The prayer and the meditation that we practiced is... All that's needed for today, that's it. Now, 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 that's all that's needed to get here. And then now that I'm here, all that's needed to stay here is uh, continuing to sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with my higher power right now, because it's now. Now. The 11th step doesn't say get up in the morning and pray and meditate and then go live your life. It doesn't say that. It says I continue to sought through prayer and meditation. I continue to do this as a way of life. And if I'm not sotting through prayer and meditation, I'm dying of alcoholism. It's just a matter of when the thing is the thing that's going to be the thing that makes me so uh, uncomfortable. Okay, so I think we left off here. It is a tremendous satisfaction. Did I read that last time? I did read that? No, that's where we are. Okay, I'm just going off of Phyllis. It's a tremendous satisfaction to record that in the following years, this changed. Alcoholics like me who still had their health, their families, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism because... People were getting sober and people were talking about the alcoholism instead of the alcohol. And I could recognize in myself the disease, this self-talking unsatisfied mind. I could recognize that maybe years before I had to hit a 
complete physical bottom with alcohol. As this trend grew, I was joined, I'm joined by young people who are scarcely more than potential alcoholics. I am, they are spared the last, I was spared the last 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us had gone through. Step one, since step one requires an admission that my life has become unmanageable, how could possible, how could people such as this take these steps? Uh, uh, the thing for me is that the life that's unmanageable is not my outside life. If it was my outside life, I don't have alcoholism. All my bills are paid. I go to a job. I have a wife. I have a daughter. I, ha I own a house. My life is not unmanageable on the outside. The life that's unmanageable is my inner life, my thought life. It's not about the stupid stuff I do on the outside, even though I still do a lot of stupid stuff. It's about my thought life. It's about me wanting to die when I have a wife and a house and a car and money in the bank. And I still am not satisfied with the life that I have. And I still think that, and, and I still believe my mind when it tells me that I could be satisfied if I had blank, whatever it is, that my life is, my, my disease is convinced that if I had that, I'd be okay. And it's what it's cunning, baffling, and powerful about is coming up with new ways to trick me into the idea that there is something outside of me that could satisfy me and that then I would be happy. Not temporarily happy, then I would be a happy person inside. And I believe it over and over and over and over again, I get tricked. So it's obviously necessary to raise the bottom the rest of us had hit that to a point where it could hit them. So I have to, my bottom had to be erased to where I was at when I drove to my first meeting. Because for a lot of time, a lot of years in AA, a lot of years in AA, my mind, my disease would tell me, Randy, you can't surrender like these other people. And the reason you're not getting this thing is because you didn't hit a low enough bottom. So my disease talks to me in my voice. When I tell you this out loud, you're going to think I'm crazy. But my disease would tell me, Randy, you need to drink again and hit a lower bottom and then you'll be able to surrender better and then you'll get this program and then you'll be happy. My disease tells me that I need to drink again, the thing that will possibly kill me and others around me. And that that is going to be the that's the program I need to work in order to work this program. The, the diseases program is get as drunk as you can, as often as you can, and hit a low enough bottom. So then you'll be more willing to do the program that it doesn't want to do today when I'm sober today in the program. And this is what raising the bottom means. I have to be shown that, that that's how sick I am. And that I believe that because it's my mind telling me that. And it, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I never did it, but my mind talked to me like that for years. By going back in my own drinking history, I could show that years before I realized it, I was out of control, that my drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. 
To the doubters, we could say, mm, perhaps you're not an alcoholic after all. Why don't you try some more controlled drinking? Bearing in mind, meanwhile, what we've told you about alcoholism. So that's an experiment that you could offer sponsees that are, abs that are uh, what do they call that? Um, um, shoot, the word escapes me. Um, d uh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Defiant, 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 thank you. Defiant. When when an alcoholic is defiant about doing the program, we say to them, well, maybe you're not an alcoholic. Why don't you try some more drinking? The disease, my disease would love to hear that. But that's what it takes. It took me, I went out three times in my first uh, year. I went out three times. And it took all three times for me to come back in to, to start where I started. Uh, this attitude brought immediate and practical results. It was then discovered that when one alcoholic had planted in the mind of another the true nature of his malady, that person could never be the same again. This idea of the allergy that I can never ever drink it again because I'm allergic to it, coupled with the, the mind, the self-talking, unsatisfiable mind, that has to be planted into the alcoholic with alcoholism. Because once that's in, once you have a taste of that and you see that how unsatisfiable you are and how you always have been, you can never be the same again. You might drink again. You might, act, you, you might energize the disease again, but you will know that there is another way to go and that that self-talking mind is not your friend. Following every spree or every dry drunk, I can say to myself, maybe those AAs are right after all. Maybe those AAs are right. After a few such experiences, often years before the onset of extreme difficulties, I could return convinced. I had hit bottom as truly as anyone else. John Barleycorn himself had been our best advocate. So, you know, drinking and drinking again, if you're allergic to alcohol, drinking is going to punish you. There's just, and John Barleycorn or drinking is going to punish you. It just is. It punished me. Once I became allergic to it, every time I drank it, it punished me. All right, I'm going to finish this. We're going to finish step one right now. Why all this insistence that I must hit bottom first? The answer is, is that I will not sincerely try to practice the AA program unless I have hit bottom. I'm not going to do it. If there's any outs for me, I'm taking the outs. For practicing AA's remaining 11 steps means the adoption of attitudes and actions that me as still drinking or thinking that I cannot dream of taking. I cannot dream of taking. I don't wish to be rigorously honest and tolerant. I wish to be just honest and tolerant enough to get what I want. But I don't wish to be honest and tolerant with myself or with you. Who wants to confess? Do I want to confess my faults to another and make restitutions for harm done? No. 
No, I'd like to skip that step. I'd like to move on to the easier one where I talk to other alcoholics. Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? I don't care about it. Unless you tell me that if I meditate and pray correctly, I can get God to do what I want, then I'm interested. Now I'm in. Now you got my attention. If you could teach me the right way to pray to the right God facing in the right direction to manifest everything that I want when I want it, I'm in. But to just sit and pray and meditate, I'm not interested in that. And most people aren't. It's amazing to me how many people come to this meeting with 10, 15, 20 years of sobriety and they don't meditate, never meditate. It's a whole step. It's the whole way of life. Once you finish step 10, the whole way of life is to continue to sought through prayer and meditation. Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry AA's message to the next sufferer? Not on the top of my list. No, me, the average alcoholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't. I do not care for this prospect. Unless I have to do these things to stay alive. So when it becomes life and death, then I become willing. And as I do these steps, I see I, it's revealed to me more moment by moment how life and death this is, how I am a last gasper. I didn't think I was a last gasper when I came in here. I thought I was doing pretty good. Today, I understand I'm a last gasper. This disease could take me out at any moment. All I have to do is lose enough money or lose something that, that self tells me I can't live without and, and I could be ready for suicide. And it doesn't even have to be that. It's crazy. It's crazy. The mind, my mind is insane when it comes up with stuff that I have to feel sorry about myself for. It's, it's so, it's so cunning, baffling, and powerful at coming up with that stuff. The stuff that it tells me I'm never going to have and then I'm never going to be happy. Meanwhile, right now I have everything I could ever need and everything I need to be happy and I'm not satisfied if I'm in alcoholism. Under the lash of alcoholism, I'm driven here to AA. And here I discover the fatal nature of my situation. It's fatal. If I don't treat this disease, I'm, it's going to kill me. Drunk or sober, it will kill me. Then and only then do I become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. I stand ready to do anything which will lift my merciless obsession. One of my favorite lines in the book. That is the prerequisite to be finished with step one. Being at a place where right now, right here, right now, in this moment, I stand ready to do anything which will lift my merciless obsession. My merciless obsession today is to be self-satisfied. It says it in step seven. It's not to drink alcohol. 
do I stand ready to do anything which will lift my merciless obsession? And that is the first requirement of step two. You can't, you can't have step two. I can't have step two unless I'm at a place where I stand ready to do anything which will lift my merciless obsession. Anything. Anything. So I talked a lot today. I'm sorry. But uh, the time is the same as last time I talked. Oh, I guess I talk a lot every week. I'm going to stop now. We're going to open the meeting up for sharing. You can ask questions if you want to ask questions. You can share if you want to share. Um, there's so much stuff that I read that those two pages really fast. I know it might have seemed like a long time, but that was fast for me, I think. And there might be a lot of stuff I missed in there. So if you want to point some of that out, you can, whatever your experience is. I appreciate you all. And I'm going to stop talking now and I'm going to ask my higher power to help me hear you share. And I'm taping the meeting. We tape this meeting and some people are re-listening to it and they're finding it helpful to do that. So if you share, it will be taped unless you tell me to stop it. I'm only taping the voice, no video. All right, Mason, you're up. Hey, Randy. Uh, thank you. Mason, alcoholic. Hi, I just man. want to say uh, that my head has been going like crazy. And I'm, I'm praying. I'm going to the meetings. You know, I'm doing... I don't even want to share in prime time because, like, my solution just gets stuck. I want to just speak from my heart instead of speak for you and my solution. <laughs> so... Um, but I aware, I'm aware that that's a selfish act in a sense. So it's going to take some time to get there. But um, I was at my knees, like, praying to get rid of self-centeredness last night, almost crying. Like, and uh, I refused to meditate today. I, I just did, and I, I just kept telling myself, relax, 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 relax. And then when you said, with the eyes open, to just be and not think about your story I had a moment of peace and like you know I know that that's a constant thing so I don't know how long it's going to last you know but it felt really good <laughs> so thank you thanks Mason and uh, that is the answer for me you know uh, meditation is important to me I've had success in feeling good doing it. so there's a lot of fear involved in meditation and time consuming and all this stuff and it's hard to set aside the time to do it, but it always works. It's, it's weird. It's like, what are we doing? Why don't we just do it? All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Uh, next is, let me see here. Next is Jason. Thank you. Uh, Jason Alcoholic. Hi, Jason. Uh, grateful to be at this meeting. This is the first time that I've got to go through the whole meeting. Um, I enjoyed the meditation and you know, something that, that, uh, Randy said, if it was from the reading or from, uh, his expansion on it, I understand my alcoholism as that desire to feel satisfied and, you know, with, with, with time being sober now, that that's what, uh, meditation and trying to direct my thinking and surrender, um, is is all about addressing so my my compulsion to drink through through practicing sobriety um that's been kind of separated but 
when I wake up, I'm still an untreated alcoholic. Um, and my desire is to feel good, I think, as a human with an ego in, in this, uh, with, with the type of consciousness that I have. So, and I can also resonate with, with the last share that, uh, you know, I, I had to really have a moment of surrender and it, and it was emotional and tearful, I think, um, at a certain point, because as my life gets more complicated and I get more attached um, by practicing the, the AA Design for Living, now I have all these things and commitments and responsibilities and ambitions pop up and all these uh, ego-driven uh, motivations come into my life with my job and wanting to be good and, and do the best and all these different things. And uh, that that creates a conflict because I'm, I'm attached to things that I want to happen the way that I want them. And that's not how I even got to the point of having that luxury of a problem to have, you know? And so I definitely uh, believe in keeping it simple with the steps. It's step one goes to step two to three. And, and that's part of my ritual uh, in the morning. I, I, I dress God and I say, Jason, I'm an alcoholic. And I, and I reaffirm and, and the practice of that, aside from the spiritual nature of it, is that I'm reminding myself, you know, of, of what's going on here and, and what it takes to try to get to that point of surrender and through the through those prayers that uh, we broke down, um, that helps me to do that. And sometimes in my life, um, it's harder because my fear or my, my attachment and, and my ego is it's a struggle. So I will have to say that will not be done many times throughout the day. Um, and sometimes it's like, there, there's anxiety about that. And there, there's dissonance and there's a, there's an emotional struggle. So, you know, I reach out to people. I try to stay in touch with my gratitude. I try to, I try to just be selfless. And, uh, so when I get to a point or a moment of inspiration, uh, it feels good. And I believe in this program, uh, this spiritual uh, approach to living through through the simple things that are outlined in, in, in all the literature and in the culture of, of the fellowship and the meetings and the steps, um, it gradually does and has become a working part of my mind over time. Mm -hmm. But every morning, or sometimes, it's not the first, you know, uh, instinct, so... Uh, it's a daily reprieve for me. It's a daily practice, and uh, I'm grateful for the program. I'm grateful to be invited to this meeting, and uh, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Jason. Welcome. Shlomo. Hi, everybody. Shlomo, alcoholic. Hi, Shlomo. So good to be here. I think I've missed the meeting for the last couple of weeks, and... Man, step one is powerful. I remember when I asked uh, my sponsor to be my sponsor, I let him know that, you know, I was out here in California. I wanted to get the steps done in like three, four weeks so that, you know, in case I wanted to go back home. And we spent the next three months on step one. And we did the TBO papers and the act of surrender and all of this different stuff. And what a powerful experience. You know, I'm still pretty sure that step one in early sobriety is why I stayed sober for a couple of years now. And 
this idea of raising the bottom is, I think, one of the biggest things for me in sobriety to stay sober and to hang on to some semblance of emotional sobriety because my bottom got me here. You know, whatever anybody else's bottom is what it is, but I had everything I could take to get me to come here and at least see this program. And throughout my sobriety, I've dropped lower and lower and lower. My emotional sobriety has taken me to some really low places. And every time somebody has said something that to me was the equivalent of, well, why don't you just raise the bottom to meet you where you are now? You know, people say all the time, would you rather be happy or be right? Okay, let me stop digging. Let me stop going lower. Let me put my bottom right here. You know, uh, the idea of restarting my day, I'm having a bad day. How do I, how do I start over? You know what? This is as low as I'm thinking today. I'm not going any further. And just a little bit of, uh, of personal experience. I spent two and a half to three days this week being really, really angry at somebody that I work with in a committee that I belong to in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, it took to a sponsor, a therapist, a service sponsor, and all of these people essentially said the same things to me. And I typed up that email, that six-page email that really gets my point across and lets people know that I'm right. You have to hear my point of view. And, you know, I sent it out to the service sponsor to take a look at it, and he basically came back with the same thing. He said, do you do a 10-step on this? You know, are you more worried about getting your point across or are you more worried about being able to perform the service that you're on this committee to do? And it's just so many different ways that I hear stop digging, raise that bottom and say that, you know what, this is as low as I'm going in any given day in any given circumstance. And, you know, I basically shredded that email and I wrote an email, which is not me. You know, you're talking at the end of step one about all these things. I don't want to do any of that stuff unless somebody can prove to me that I have to. Those Tebow papers, the ego factors, surrender, all of that stuff has proven to me that I have to do that stuff. And when I'm reminded of that, I suddenly open up my computer to a new email and I start typing from a place of humility, from a place of service, from a place of love. And... This morning, before I came into the meeting, I reread my draft of that next email, and I'm like, holy crap, that's not me. That's that's something closer to the character that I get to build by doing a step one and by acknowledging that I don't want to continue digging. But that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the direction that my life is headed. And I'm going to have another day where my emotional sobriety will take me to, you know, lower depths. And mm-hmm. again, I'm going to have to ask that question. Do I want to keep digging or do I want to raise the bottom and say, this is it. This is where I stop. I go up from here and my life just gets better. And my life yep. is the same as you explained. It's my inner experience. Yep. That's all it is. Thank you. Thanks, Shlomo. Phyllis. 
Hi, Randy. Hi, everyone. Hi, fellas. Um, yeah, raising the bottom. So I put down the drink and the drug, and I needed a lot of raising up. A lot of raising up. And was I willing half the time? No. You read it just the way it is. You know, was I really willing to do all this stuff? Absolutely not. My self-centeredness, my self-satisfaction, all of it was clocked in there that I couldn't even separate anything out for a while. That's how stuck my mind was, how rigid it was, how frightened it was. Fear, fear really grips you, you know? I didn't know that. I thought I was fearless. You know, I went to abandoned buildings. I did all kinds of crazy stuff. But when it when it talks about we are willing to do anything which will lift the merciful succession from us. Today, and I mean today, I can't, I don't want to go any other place. I am totally willing because I know in one minute from now I could be disturbed. And disturbance is enough for me today to rightly relate myself to the power. There's something, if you don't mind, I just want to read something that I read today. It's only a paragraph. Please. And it is from The Course of Miracles, and it's, I am sustained by the love of God. Here is the answer to every problem that confronts you today and tomorrow and throughout time. In this world, you believe you are sustained by everything but God. Your faith is placed in the most trivial and insane symbolic pills, money, protect, protective clothing, influence, prestige, being liked, knowing the right people, and an endless list of forms of nothing which you endow with magical power. All these things are your replacements for the love of God. All these things are cherished to ensure a body identification. They are songs of praise to the ego. And uh, this whole experience has been an ego-deflating proposition to, to really being humiliated and ultimately getting humble. Honest tolerance, you talked about it very specifically, and the ego mind doesn't want that. But, you know, I, for me, my experience is I have to fall in love with God. Whatever that is, whatever the presence is for you, the way I fell in love with romantic love, the way I fell in love with everybody, or I thought I did, it was, this is a real sense of love that is, it, it's qualitative, that's all I can really say, and I think that's what we have to do. It's a commitment, there's something about, and you talked about it, God, I offer myself to thee. Uh, Bentley, I think, spoke about a commitment and a contract to really being committed to doing these things wholeheartedly with an open heart. And that takes time. Opening your our heart takes some time to get from the head to the heart. Anyway, thanks, Randy. Thank you always for reading it slowly because I think that's really important. When we read the steps at other meetings, we go through it like, I, I don't even know, like, are you kidding? So yeah. I'm very grateful for this. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Phyllis. Sonia. Sorry, I had to turn my camera off because I need a new cord. Whenever it's on, the battery just drains. But what I really wanted to share uh, was about on Wednesday, you talked about the over there's. It's always over there. It's always over there. And this, and as well, well, on Wednesday, I saw my story. 
for the first time, mm. particularly about my mom. And then that ties into everything else. But this morning I decided to make a list of my kind of infamous over theirs. And as I was doing it, I said, this list itself isn't over there. Mm. And you know, they're right. If I do this list of over theirs, I will get over there. Right. Um, so I just really wanted to only share that uh, with you today and everyone. And thank you. I just, I really, really am so grateful to you, Randy, and everyone here. Thank you. Thank you, Sonia. Well, you're very welcome here. Paul? I am Paul, alcoholic with alcoholism. Thank you, Randy. Hi, everyone. Uh, I had to run away a few minutes ago. I had my hand up, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, there was like this mini blizzard that started here and knocked all kinds of things over in the bathroom shower and anyway it was very exciting <laughs> um, when you read today not for the average alcoholic self-centered in the extreme i thought well am i the average alcoholic self-centered in the extreme <laughs> and just by the mere fact of answering the question of course i'm not self-centered in the extreme who am i asking about who's asking the question the whole thing but then I took another step and I said, well, isn't everybody self-centered? What does the extreme mean? And what, what, what it brought to mind is something I was listening to earlier this morning. I was listening to an interview with a doctor and a researcher who does work in a, in a fatal disease. And at the end of this long interview, the interviewer said, so doctor, outside of your work, what is it that you do? What is it you're passionate about? What is it that you do in your spare time? And he thought for a second, he says, it's going to sound very boring, but I just, I just think about my, what uh, the mission I'm on with my work and doing my work. And I thought that's not self-centered. That's not self-centered in the extreme. That's, that's service oriented in these, from what I gather, I mean, the guy may have a big ego, who knows? It didn't sound that way to me, but you know, this whole idea about asking whether I'm self-centered and seeing that that in itself um, is an act of the ego, is an act of self-centeredness. And uh, I think that for me, it would be useful to lose interest in questions like that. There's really not much else to, to be done about it, but I just wanted to report in on that reaction. Thanks. And the weather here in New York is <clears throat> snowing. I heard they had a little bit of wind in London this week or yesterday or yeah. Thanks, Paul. Great to hear Thank from you. you. Hey Matt. All right. How you doing, Matt? Matt, I'll call it. Hi Matt. Hey, I'm doing good, Randy. Uh thanks for your share. Uh but you know, when I was sitting here listening, because I've I've felt a little untreated lately. And as we were meditating and as we were reading and talking, I started thinking about everything that I do that's not drinking, but might be trying to uh, treat my alcoholism, you know? Because I'm not drinking and I think I'm, I'm treated, but, you know, I'm vaping, I'm dipping, I'm drinking coffee, I'm snacking late at night, and I'm doing all these things. And I'm like, man, I don't... <laughs> I'm still pretty sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I guess my uh, question, because I know 
in your sobriety, there's a lot of things that you realized weren't um, serving you anymore and you had to get rid of, whether it was drinking coffee or eating food. And, and like, at what point did you realize those things needed to stop? And, and what are some ways that you, I guess, dealt with it? What was the process for you? Hmm. Well, coffee, <clears throat> you know, when you drink two pots of coffee a day and, and your my mind's going as fast on coffee as it was on cocaine, I realized I might have a problem with coffee. You know, when I would walk in circles in the house trying to figure out why I came in the house besides the cup of coffee I was drinking and I couldn't really figure out what I was there for, I've realized I probably have a problem with coffee. And I couldn't quit coffee. No way. I loved coffee. It was my best friend. After alcohol, coffee was next. And then I had this homeopathic doctor. And one day she said, because she kept telling me, you need to quit coffee. It's killing you. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it one day. And then one day, I remember exactly where I was when she told me. I was on the phone with her. And she says, why don't you try those AA principles on coffee? And I thought, damn, you didn't go there, did you? Damn. And, and so then I had to do that. And the principle is I'm allergic to coffee. I can never, ever drink coffee successfully again. It's the same principle. Same thing with sugar. Same thing with flour. Now, drink. I have a cup of... I, did, I went 10 years with no coffee. 10 years. Then I, then I was in Europe and it was in ice cream and coffee. And so I figured, well, you know, how, how bad could that be? A, a cappuccino with ice cream and it's not really coffee. And after six of those, I was kind of wired on coffee, but they were so good. You know, the first one just wasn't good enough. And then I was back on coffee for a little while and, and now I don't drink coffee again. So once in a while I have one cup because my mind tells me it would be great. And I do it and it's never great, like everything else. And uh, so it's the same 12 steps. There's a, I, I think I might have made this number up, but I, I believe that my sponsor told me this and my sponsor knew everything. And uh, he I think he said there were 137 variations of 12-step programs for everything. 137, gambling, food, Every kind of food, basically, cigarettes, uh, every, there's a 12-step program for everything because the problem isn't the thing. The problem is the mind. It treats everything. It's just, you know, you, you raise the bottom. Okay, now coffee's at the bottom. Oh, now sugar's at the bottom. Now flour's at the bottom. And, the, and it keeps getting, the bottom keeps getting raised. If you stay sober, because you're going to I'm going to have to look at the things that are that are getting in the way of my relationship with my higher power. If I'm reaching for coffee instead of prayer and meditation, that's a problem. Just like work, if I'm reaching to work 12, 16 hours a day, so my mind won't tell me what a loser I am. That's a problem. <clears throat> Doesn't seem like a problem. For me, it's a problem. So I hope that answers your question, but it's, yeah, it's it's kind of terrifying to start to see all the things that I do to treat my disease and then all of the, how deep you can go. But the beauty of the program is there's no 
It's endless. The recovery is endless. No matter how much you've recovered, there's that much recovery left to have. That's why I can read this 12 and 12 over and over and over and over again for 33 years. And every time I read it, it's like it's brand new. Every time I read it, I go, oh my God, that's what that means. But that's what it means for me today. It didn't mean that for me when I first came in. What it meant was I couldn't drink. That's what every word in this book meant the first time I read this book, meant I can't drink alcohol. Then it got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and, and it doesn't mean I can't do anything. It means I could have a life that without that thing that I'm using to treat my disease is better than any life I've ever known. I'm not giving anything up. I'm not losing anything. Everything that I do in this program, every the deeper I go into the program, the more satisfied I am in my life right now. It's not a sacrifice. I have to give up coffee. I don't have to give up coffee. When I don't drink coffee, I am much more pleasant to be around. <laughs> I'm much more connected. <clears throat> and I and I feel much better. So I only do these things to stay alive myself. What time is it? Oh, it's 12.29. How about that? Perfect. Uh, thanks, Matt. I hope that's helpful. Uh, I, I appreciate you all more than you'll ever know. I hope that you know that, but you'll never know how much. I really, I, I love you, and I appreciate you for showing up here every Saturday and helping me to stay sober and helping me to continue to go deeper in my sobriety. I did not come here for you today. Uh, I came here because I needed to treat my disease and that's why I'm here every Saturday. <clears throat> but I, I love that you came here and that we got to do this together, really. It blows my mind that I get to have this life. Uh, real quick, I, I, I got in the shower this morning and I had hot, hot, hot water and it was so fantastic. And I was thanking God for the hot water and I had my eyes closed. And then I opened my eyes and the sun was shining in and I had a, a green washcloth and a blue washcloth. If you asked me on any other day of the year what color washcloth was in the bathroom, I couldn't tell you to save my life. But I opened my eyes and the sun was shining on those washcloths and I saw those washcloths and I had this amazing burst of color and light and washcloths and warm water and gratitude, and it was the best moment of my life for that moment. And I'm just sharing that with you because it was so simple and so nothing, but so amazing and so rich and full and fantastic. And that's what it's like when I'm connected. There's nothing missing. There's nothing needed. There was nothing that could make that moment any better than it was. And there's nothing that can make this moment right here, right now, any better than it is. So, well, I'll shut up. <laughs> I appreciate you. We'll uh, take a moment of silent meditation and then we'll do the serenity prayer together. can all unmute yourself if you'd like to participate. God. 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 
Oh, she's reading from A Course in Miracles. Greatest book. Which which page? Oh. Uh, we're, uh, you want to talk about that now? Please. You want my phone number? It's less than it's less than fifty. It's less than fifty. It's today yeah, fifty right. days into the year. Less than fifty. Uh, over and over again. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Okay. It was beautiful. Yeah, I got so. the hat. The, oh yeah, I just did I send you my address? I sent you my address in the text. Uh, I chatted it to you. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't even believe that you where did you find it? It's um from a company. This company I don't love that book. Look at this hat. I, uh, oh, this one's mine, but oh. I, I got yours in the thing. It says I'll call it. That is so cool. A Yankee hat. Yeah, but, but it's it's, it's Alcoholics, Alcoholics Anonymous. Anonymous. The NY is in the middle of Anonymous. How cool is that? <laughs> wow. Please, can I ask you a favor, please? Yeah. Can you send me the name of the book? I don't have that one. Of course. Of course, miracles. miracles. It's an annotated. Go on Amazon, of course, or wherever. Uh, what is it called? <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you. Oh, Randy, so yeah, send me your address. I just sent it to you. I text, it's in the chat. Oh, I don't see it. You don't? Oh, I never press send. Okay. Duh. Rebecca, text me first so I can text you back.